Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Nurses say no. It's going to impact the care that is being provided. No jab, no job for healthcare workers now pushing back against mandatory vaccines. Citizens banned from Surrey City Hall. Immediately prohibited from physically attending City of Surrey Council. Why some believe Mayor Doug McCallum has gone too far. And the crash camera. People are going straight through the stop sign and not stopping at all. What makes this Richmond intersection so dangerous? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC's Nurses Union says the government's new requirement that all healthcare workers be vaccinated could backfire. The union says its members are already stretched to the limits and losing even a few staff because of the jab or job rules could be disastrous for the entire healthcare system. Richard Zussman reports. Here we go. Done. Nurses have been on the front line of fighting COVID-19 since the beginning. Understaffed, overworked and worried more pressure is coming. Any order which will serve to remove even a single nurse or any other healthcare worker from the healthcare system in this time of a severe staffing crisis is not something that we can support. The BC Nurses Union encouraging vaccine, but also raising concerns over the province's new mandatory requirement for healthcare workers. If a nurse refuses the jab and doesn't get an exemption, they will lose their job. There are 40,000 nurses in BC. No firm numbers, but the estimates are more than 90% of them are immunized. It still means in the worst case scenario, there could be as many as 4,000 nurses without a shot. You already are in a shortage. How can you deplete what you already don't have? I don't think we can we uh, can have a situation, uh, given the seriousness of COVID-19 and its impact, where uh, people uh, are working without vaccination. The BC Nurses Union would like to see rapid testing and PPE requirements rather than mandatory vaccines. Paramedics will also be required to be immunized. There are 4,500 of them. The union says 95% are immunized, meaning 225 could still need a shot. Paramedics get sick or are unable to come to work for extended period of times can also be worse for our system. By October 12th, all long-term care and assisted living workers must be fully immunized. By October 26th, the rest of the health care system must follow. I'm hopeful, uh, optimistic, uh, that many people who have expressed vaccine hesitancy will, now they know that, you know, they, they can't simply walk across the street and get another job. It'll cause them to really think through uh, their concerns. The province still short on details of what they would do if workers are fired or leave due to no vaccination. We don't want to lose anybody, so we're going to be working with people to ensure that the maximum number of people are immunized. And we do have to prepare, and we are preparing, um, the, to deal with the situation. The province is trying to hire additional staff for the overall health care system. The problem is there just aren't that many people to hire. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
All right, let's take a look now at the COVID-19 numbers for the past 24 hours. We have 677 new cases in B.C. That makes 6,165 active cases. 288 people are in hospital now, 140 in the ICU. One more person has died from complications of the virus. And 78.5% of people aged 12 and old, older are now fully immunized. Let's bring in our Keith Baldry to talk more about retention and recruitment in the healthcare mm -hmm. field right now. Uh, Keith, especially in the north where things are particularly bad. Yeah, things are very challenging in the north, of course, some very remote communities. It's tough to convince people and attract people to go up there in terms of health care and to retain them and keep them there. So today, Health Minister Adrian Dix announcing almost $6.4 million to cover a number of initiatives to attract health care workers there to cover things such as travel subsidies and such. But also the situation in the north right now is very bad when it comes to COVID. Take a look at this. 46 people in hospital, an increase of 17 in one week. It's actually higher than that in terms of the increase. 14 of those people are in ICU all of them unvaccinated, an increase of three. And take a look at the active cases, almost 1,000. That's an increase of 261 in a place with a relatively few, a small population, about 300,000 people. A, a point uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix addressed today on a per capita basis, the Northern Health Authority right now is the hardest hit area in BC when it comes to COVID. We have the highest uh, uh, level of COVID-19 per share of the population in Northern Health of any region in BC. And there are challenges nonetheless, challenges that are uh, structural and fundamental and ones that we have to continue and get at and address now. So one of the big uh, reasons COVID is surging through the north, guys, is that the low vaccination rates continue to be a problem in a number of communities. Fort St. John, Dawson Creek, Enderby, Ch uh, Chetwin, for example, Peace River Rural is down to 44% when the net provincial average is of almost 86%. So we've got to get the vaccination numbers up in the north. And until they do, unfortunately, that hospital number with all those unvaccinated people in hospital is going to remain unacceptably high. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. In the interior now, some local businesses are welcoming the latest shift in COVID restrictions. Now, late-night alcohol service, high-intensity indoor fitness classes, and large gatherings are all once again allowed across the health authority. Global's Megan Turcato has more on what's changing and the restrictions that remain. After weeks of restrictions and lost revenue, restaurants and bars in the central Okanagan are celebrating news they can once again serve liquor after 10 p.m. It was amazing. I had a beer. People should be rewarded for getting the vaccination. They should be allowed in the restaurants and bars again, be able to do be here to midnight. It's just one of the COVID rules Interior Health changed on Monday as the provincial vaccine passport rolled out. The health authority also added a requirement that those attending small organized events show proof of vaccination with at least one dose and allowed large-scale organized events again, but only for the fully vaccinated. We will be um, allowing uh, large events to go forward, uh, provided that individuals provide proof of two vaccines, because we continue to have the highest case rates um, in the interior health region. A nice controlled curl. As of Monday, indoor high-intensity fitness classes can also resume in the interior but only if everyone, including the instructor, is fully vaccinated. The whole passport, the whole, and having high intensity back in is definitely uh, a positive for our business. So being, like, making it so that we can operate in the way that we are meant to operate. While COVID numbers in the interior remain high, the health authority says case rates are stabilizing, 
So officials believe the adjusted rules strike the right balance. We've lifted uh, one order in the central Okanagan as we've seen cases go down, um, but we have kept um, other restrictions in place, including the personal gatherings. The health authority will be watching for cases to go down and vaccination rates to increase before it looks at lifting more restrictions. Megan Turcato, Global News, Kelowna. Well, Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum and his Safe Surrey Coalition are taking heat today for a move to ban certain people from speaking at council meetings. The group was accused of being disruptive, but as Catherine Urquhart reports, other council members say the mayor's move is an attack on democracy. All in favor against carried. It was Surrey's first in-person council meeting in more than a year, an opportunity for residents to have their voices heard. But some have been muzzled. Mayor Doug McCallum and his five-member Safe Surrey Coalition passed a motion banning several Surrey residents from attending or speaking at council meetings. Be immediately prohibited from physically attending City of Surrey Council and Committee meetings until council determines otherwise and may participate in council meetings and public hearings only by providing written comments. City of Surrey staff told the banned individuals... The reason for this prohibition is due to your conduct at previous council meetings and public hearings, where you have repeatedly disrupted the orderly conduct of council meetings and harassed council members and city staff. This is all part of the behavior that we've seen over the past uh, number of years. If you don't agree with this mayor, he uh, cuts you off, he bullies you, he takes you off committees, and in this case, he's banning seven residents from entering City Hall. This is, uh, this is quite uh, un- unprecedented. The banned citizens are associated with efforts to keep the RCMP in Surrey. Some of them were collecting signatures for their elections BC petition outside the Save on Foods in Crescent Beach September 6th. That's when Doug McCallum alleges he was injured by a car driven by one of their canvassers. As she, she pulled out and, and turned right, she clipped my knee and, and my bottom leg and then ran over my foot at the same time and then took off. McCallum told Global News he did his grocery shopping, then went to the hospital. They took some x-rays and then they looked at my foot and everything. Um, the soft tissue, they said, it's very badly bruised. Surrey RCMP say they continue to investigate what occurred in the parking lot. Meanwhile, those banned from council say they're seeking legal advice. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Call it the crash camera. Amazing video of what it's recording at one of Richmond's worst intersections. What you might not even notice that makes it so bad. Next on the News Hour. Is this what you call a midlife crisis? (laughs) A BC woman and her mission to bike, hike and paddle the entire Trans-Canada Trail. That's coming up on the NewsHour. And so much love today for Canadian comedian and SNL alumni Norm Macdonald. We'll talk about his death later. Right now, though, one man has been arrested for smashing into a police car in Maple Ridge while allegedly driving under the influence. Ridge Meadows RCMP say the collision happened early Saturday morning. An officer responded to reports of an erratic driver around the 121,000 block of Cherrywood Drive. 
Moments later, the officer's vehicle was struck by that driver who was allegedly impaired. A Maple Ridge 18-year-old was arrested and taken to hospital as a precaution. Fortunately, the officer didn't suffer any serious injuries. Now, shocking surveillance video of multiple accidents along a stretch of road in Richmond. Uh, residents say several intersections along Williams Road are notoriously dangerous, and they're calling on the city to address those dangers very quickly. Kamal Karamali is live near Williams and Shell Road. Now, Kamal, we want to warn viewers off the top here. Some of these videos are quite shocking to watch. Shocking indeed, Chris, and the people who live here at the corner of Williams and Shell Roads in Richmond say that these collisions have been happening for decades, but they only just installed the security cameras about two years ago just to show how bad those collisions can get. A number of close calls, including a pedestrian getting clipped to direct crashes and major collisions. This is what Barb Howell's security camera has caught over the span of three months at the corner of Williams and Shell Roads in Richmond. Once we had the video up, then we realized every accident is the same cause, and it's people not stopping at the stop sign. And this is only including what she's caught on video. Yeah, of course, it probably happens far more often than we actually know about. She says it's been a problem for years, even decades. RCMP say part of the issue is the makeup of the intersection. With this specific intersection, there are a lot of things going on there. Shell Road, which runs north-south, is split into two. It's an unusual intersection because you've got north or east shell and you've got west shell, so it's confusing. With a railway running parallel right down the middle of the street. What's more, only two stop signs at the cross-section. Now police are taking note. We are in the process of stepping up our enforcement in that area, and it's on our list of priorities. Now, driving down this stretch, we saw a few close calls ourselves, but get this, this isn't even the worst intersection along Williams Road. Between 2016 and 2020, Williams Road at Shell Road had a total of 68 collisions. That makes it the sixth worst intersection along Williams. Number four road is the second worst intersection along Williams with 94 crashes. And the intersection with number three road is the worst cross section on Williams with a whopping 114 crashes. As for this intersection, mayor and council finally giving the green light to four-way traffic lights early next year. As for why it took so long, the city says because of the train tracks that run through the intersection, it had to work with CN Rail, which didn't necessarily share the same priorities in getting the issue resolved. Because it's the city's priority doesn't make it necessarily CN's priority. And we were told uh, over the years that there were even a couple of instances where vehicles hit the trains themselves. Now, the traffic lights here are set to be uh, put in and installed in March of 2022. And it's going to cost about $700,000, Chris, uh, with CN Rail paying about $550,000 of that. Back over to you. Well, until they're built after this report, a lot of people are just going to stay away from Williams, <laughs> I can imagine. Thanks very much, Kamal. Well, there are bad drivers and then there are bad driving conditions. And with the seasons changing, so too will those conditions on the roads. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on what could be in store this fall and winter. Christy? 
So, so the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration is predicting yet another La Nina year. Now, La Nina seasons for our region are typically great for skiers with above average snow in the mountains, cooler temperatures, as well as lower freezing levels. But luckily for drivers, this doesn't always mean snow lower down in the cities. And this was the case last year. We had a ton of snow in the mountains and very little elsewhere. But I'm telling you, we can't bank on a repeat just yet. At this point, it looks like this year's winter is going to be a weak La Nina. So that means that La Nina's influence will be actually quite limited. So it'll be more influenced by climate patterns that are short term. So our weather will be more variable. I suggest that people actually follow the forecast weekly, in fact, daily. Now, one other thing is the blob is back. And this year, uh, this year, um, these, uh, the, the blob is actually that large area of uh, above average sea surface temperatures in the North Pacific. And with a weak La Nina, the blob can actually have a greater impact. It can have a warming influence on the coast and it can produce more ridging, which brings sunnier weather to our area, potentially countering the effects of La Nina. So it's sort of a wait and see type of scenario with that. Now, uh, Noah also said that there's a one in three chance that La Nina may develop to become a strong one. So there is still hope for skiers out there and of course we'll keep you posted all right thanks christy just ahead jody wilson raybold on her bombshell new book i faced racism around the cabinet table what she says when asked if the book is revenge against justin trudeau but first, battleground Chilliwack and why the PPC candidate was rejected from an in-person debate. Still slow for southbound traffic at the Lionsgate Bridge tonight with two lanes north and one south. It's lined up on the Cloverleaf past mid-span to the Causeway and into downtown Vancouver. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $50 million plus an estimated two max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A misunderstanding about BC's new vaccination passport rules seems to be at the center of a strange series of events on the campaign trail in the Chilliwack Hope Riding. Amada Gahi shows us how the vaccination status of the PPC candidate led to the cancellation of the only in-person debate of the campaign. It was simply a matter of ensuring that everyone was treated equally. In what can only be described as an historically true blue, safe conservative federal riding. It appears the three-term incumbent's influence may have led to the cancellation of an all-candidate in-person debate. It is an extremely unfortunate loss for democracy and voters. I absolutely feel the voters are the ones who are fa failed here. Voters were to be in attendance Tuesday night to participate and listen to candidates debate in the Chilliwack Hope riding. But it's understood that when organizers, citing the new provincial health orders, told People's Party candidate Rob Boginovich that he would have to debate remotely because he is not vaccinated, Conservative candidate Mark Strahl then made it clear he would not attend. It had nothing to do with the vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, it had everything to do with equality. Do you feel that the Conservative candidate supported you? 
the, I thanked Mark Straw last night in the uh, Zoom uh, debate that we had. Um, and what he said, he would have done that for any candidate. Eventually, the board of directors at the city-owned Chilliwack Arts and Cultural Society decided it would cancel Tuesday night's in-person all-candidate forum altogether. That same board not commenting on the decision either. We couldn't reach Mark Strahl to speak in person. Uh, Mark is busy, he's out campaigning. Would you not think talking to us would be a, a part of the campaign process for him or? But it seems both the NDP and Liberal candidates agree on this. What he's done is sided with the PPC party and said that vaccinations aren't important. At this point, we lost the one and only in-person debate in a format that was going to be safe. And after closely examining the rules late in the day, Fraser Health told us that political candidates are exempt from the vaccine passport in this capacity and should have been allowed to debate in person. Amaragahi, Global News. Well, the federal election is just under a week away and party leaders continue to campaign in the battleground regions of Ontario and in B.C. Visiting Toronto, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh focused on reducing telecom costs by introducing a cap on fees and mandating unlimited data plans. We know that in this pandemic, if nothing else, one of the things it's taught us is that it's extremely expensive. And it's sure, extremely necessary for people to work at home, for people to access services, for people to access education. Singh also criticized Justin Trudeau for making a sarcastic response to a heckler yesterday. It came in the wake of the anti-vaxxer demonstrations taking place across uh, Canada near hospitals. Meanwhile, Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole is again in the Ottawa area campaigning on his childcare commitments. O'Toole has promised a refundable tax credit which would cover up to 75% of childcare costs. He says families with an income under $50,000 would receive the most significant benefit. And the Conservative leader again took aim at Trudeau for calling the election during the pandemic. I've got a track record of delivering. And for families, in the cost of living crisis we have now, they need someone who will deliver for them. Conservatives will. And Trudeau is still in B.C. today in Richmond, appealing to voters on his environmental policy, saying the Liberal plan is the most ambitious of the other parties. He was also asked about his sarcastic response to that heckler on Monday. I signed up for this. My family believes deeply in what I'm doing and uh, put up with an awful lot. But everyone has limits. Today is the deadline to apply to vote by mail. Election day is September 20th. Well, we are hearing firsthand tonight from the former B.C. MP and federal cabinet minister who butted heads with Justin Trudeau as she officially launches her new explosive tell-all book. Global News sat down with Jody Wilson-Raybould to talk about her account of the political scandal that cost her her job in the Trudeau cabinet. Jody Wilson-Raybould, thanks for speaking with us today. In a lengthy one-on-one interview on Global National, the former federal justice minister tells of her life once in cabinet. She says all that diversity within the Liberal Party didn't mean much if they weren't listened to. The hyper nature of partisanship and the blind loyalty that I experienced um, is is, um, 
corrosive to meaningful discussions and to the very nature of our democracy, which I believe um, should be embracing good ideas, views and solutions, no matter where they come from. In her book, Indian in the Cabinet, Speaking Truth to Power, which launched today, she describes her life as Canada's first Indigenous Attorney General. I have faced discrimination. I faced racism around the Cabinet table, marginalization of my voice, even though I um, have lived experience and expertise in particular subject areas. She claims the timing of the book's release is coincidental and in no way a form of revenge. I had uh, announced the publication of my book to be in the fall of, of 2021 and, and certainly announced the publication date um, well before um, the election was called by, by Justin Trudeau. In her book, she does talk about why she resigned after, she says, feeling pressure to step in and resolve the corruption and fraud case against Quebec-based SNC-Lavalin to prevent the company from facing criminal charges. Trudeau has repeatedly denied any inappropriate behavior by him or any of his senior staff members. The character of a leader is is important uh, when it comes to making vote choices. Um, that said, though, uh, it's going to remind individuals of things that they've already heard uh, and uh, may have already sort of baked into their decision. Um, so there's a good chance it won't have uh, a very large impact on the actual outcome of the election. Wilson Raybould says Canadian governments at all levels could learn a lot from Aboriginal leadership where parties don't exist, where decisions are made based on every voice and not on political expediency. Ted Chernaki, Global News. A B.C. First Nation is asking the government to redirect Enbridge pipelines off its land nearly three years after one of them exploded. The Claytley Tene First Nation has sent a request to both the federal and provincial governments. Two Enbridge pipelines exploded on Claytley Tene land in Prince George in October of 2018, forcing people living in several properties to flee from their homes. The First Nation filed a lawsuit against Enbridge several months later, and its chief says the natural gas provider must take this case seriously. The blast occurred three years ago, and we're still waiting for Enbridge to take the matter seriously. I'm the third chief to hold this position since the blast occurred. I'm here this morning to say that our members deserve better, and it's time for Enbridge to bring the resolution to, to our grievances. Enbridge proposed a settlement to the case, but the First Nation rejected it earlier this year. Startling developments in the search for a missing wife and mother. Naomi Onotera disappeared more than two weeks ago and suddenly new police activity in the backyard of the place she called home. And later from Nanaimo to New York City, the design house rising from the ashes to take West Coast fashion global. We're busy on all the major routes tonight, and eastbound Highway 1 is no exception. Traffic remains congested from the Cassiar Tunnel in Vancouver all the way past Burnaby Lake and into Coquitlam. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A number of new developments tonight in the search for a Langley mother who's been missing more than two weeks. RCMP major crimes investigators are searching the home of Naomi Onatera one day after asking the public for any video footage of her neighborhood. Grace Key has the latest. 
The investigation into the disappearance of Naomi Onatera, a mother and school teacher, is now focusing on her house. A forensics tent is in the front yard where children's toys are scattered. What appears to be an evidence marker can also be seen. Neighbors say police have been here since Monday afternoon. And I saw um, one cop go in with the dog and then um, I saw the cop go back out, I'm going to say 2.30, put the dog back in the car. Um, there was another cop that showed up at that time and they both went back in. Two or three more vehicles showed up and it looked like they were putting some gloves on and everything and uh, walking into the house. Langley RCMP will only say they will be conducting a search at the Onatera house on Tuesday or Wednesday in relation to the missing person investigation. Her family misses her, they want her home. A candlelight vigil was held a week ago. Onatera's husband says he last saw the 40-year-old leave their home in the evening of August 28th. Friends say she left without her phone and keys. The next day, she failed to meet up with friends. One of them called her mother, who called police. She is loved by her family, loved by her community. Uh, her little girl is her absolute world. We just need to bring her home. Police are asking the public to take a look at Naomi's white 2018 Subaru Crosstrek with a Greater Vancouver Zoo sticker in the passenger side of the front window. It's been reported Naomi left without her car. Police want to establish a timeline of her actions beginning on the 25th of August. That's four days before she was reported missing. Police released this photo of Naomi taken at Ikea on the day of her disappearance, showing what she was wearing. They're looking for surveillance or dash cam footage near her home around 200 Street and 50 Avenue from Saturday, August 28th at 6 p.m. to Sunday at 7 p.m. On Facebook, Naomi's sister writes, my heart breaks more every day. I can't believe it's been two weeks. We miss you so much, Naomi, and we want you home. Please keep sharing. Thank you for everyone's efforts to help find my sister. Grace Key, Global News. The wife of celebrity businessman Kevin O'Leary has been found not guilty of careless driving in a boat crash that killed two people in central Ontario back in 2019. Linda O'Leary was at the helm of the boat at the time. Her husband was also on board, as was a family friend. They were returning to their cottage from a dinner party when the collision took place on Lake Joseph, north of Toronto. A 64-year-old man from Florida and a 48-year-old woman from Ontario both died from their injuries. Three others were also hurt. Sad news from the entertainment world. Canadian comedian, actor and writer Norm Macdonald has passed away at the age of 61. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I found this backstage, uh, oversized hat. It's funny. No, it's not. Sure it is. It's funny. It's funny because it's uh, bigger than a you know, normal hat. It is funny. The Saturday Night Live star had been fighting a private battle with cancer for nearly a decade. His management firm says he was determined to keep his health struggles out of the spotlight. McDonald started his career in the comedy clubs across Canada. He was hired to write for the sitcom Roseanne in the early 90s, and then he joined SNL as a cast member in 1993. Well, while BC's vaccine card program is underway, Ontario is releasing more details about its system. Ontario health officials say starting next Wednesday, people aged 12 and up must be fully vaccinated if they want access to several non-essential services. Those include sporting events, fitness classes, concerts, indoor dining and restaurants. Does that all sound familiar? People must be fully immunized when the program starts, unlike here in B.C., where people only need one dose right now and they need to be fully vaccinated by October 24th. Coming up, Coast Salish designers step into the spotlight. 
The people showed up. They absolutely loved it. Their trip to New York Fashion Week and how it's helping their brand go global. And a goal to spend 500 days in the wild that turned out to be a lot longer than that. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. We've said it before around here what a difference a day makes. It was beautiful yesterday. Golf tournament. It was a good day uh, to golf, that's for sure. Springs. It was great. Thanks to everybody who supported CKNW Kids Fund. Thank you for perfect weather, Christy, and today perfect weather for ducks. <laughs> That's exactly right. I got my rain slicker on. And we actually have a special weather statement in place because it's going to get very windy tonight. Here's a look at the regions. So it includes Metro Vancouver, House Sound, eastern sections of Metro Vancouver as well, southern Gulf Islands and Greater Victoria. So strong westerly or northwest winds expected with gusts potentially up to 70 kilometers an hour. The sustained winds likely in the 40 to 50 kilometer an hour range. And we're expecting these strong winds overnight and through Wednesday morning. But it's not only only these areas that will be impacted. Uh, we jumped past that, I'm sorry. But we'll also see the stronger winds up through the Strait of Georgia. So along uh, those eastern or along the uh, coastal regions, you'll feel the effects of it. And it's all because of a cold front that's going to swing across the region overnight. And in behind that, will get that strong westerly or northwest flow. The good news is with that type of a pattern, we get a clearing. So we are expecting sunshine tomorrow. And we'll likely see that into our Thursday as well. So yes, as you mentioned, what a difference a day makes and we'll be right back into sunshine so here's your forecast everyone for your wednesday we are expecting some rainfall across the north coast regions areas across the south what you're seeing there is precipitation mainly in through the morning hours again a clearing trend on the way for you you are also expecting gusty winds through the latter part of the day or through while that cold front is going through south coast mainly sunny though after we get through that cloud cover in the morning slight chance of showers though through the fraser valley but overall we've got two great days on the way after a very windy night and morning. Uh, back to rainfall though on Friday. All right, tonight's central windows weather window is from um, the Klukots, uh Lake area, which is just west of Prince George. Grant Smith sending us this. This was from this afternoon, a gorgeous double rainbow. It's a double rainbow. Oh my God. Okay, thanks, Christy. Double Yay. rainbow that ends right on the dock. How cool is that? That's where the pot of gold is. That's right. <laughs> Uh, all right, two Indigenous designers from Nanaimo are back home after making a stunning debut at New York Fashion Week. But as Kylie Stanton reports, their Big Apple dreams were almost derailed when a fire ripped through their warehouse. Every stitch tells a story, a way of carving out history through design and art. We are a collaborative art family. Our mother's a painter and a garment designer. Our father is a carver and was a jeweler when we were younger. Our brother is a carver. We know who can do what and how to help each other. We know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And this is the result. Oral history passed down through generations, told through artwork, now on display through fashion. It's really, really important to keep that legacy alive and the history and the art alive. Their name, Aitleilam means the good house, creating couture that's ready to wear, made for everyone. It's produced here at their home studio in Nanaimo, but just recently made its debut on the world stage at New York Fashion Week. It was absolutely amazing. 
It was everything we could have wanted. Not only a dream come true, but also a chance to share Coast Salish culture with the masses, their garments, their music, and their people's history. Being able to see that story walk down the runway uh, and for people to understand it with the visual, the language, um, I think that's really just the best part of it. But it almost didn't happen. There's actually a skirt stuck to it. In late August, their warehouse and nearly all of their stock was destroyed in a fire. All but the showcase collection, which was being produced here. And the sisters took that as a sign. Everything about this collection was intact and ready to go to New York. So we knew we had to go. The response to the showcase has been nothing short of incredible. It was really, really well received. Now back home, they're already back to work, getting ready for whatever comes their way next. It's just the first step. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Very cool. Sure Congratulations. is. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Squire's on standby right now for a look ahead of what's coming up in sports. Squire, what have you got? Well, let's uh, see here. Javon Katoy is one of the Lions' top receivers this year, but he says don't think of him as a late bloomer. Some might say that, but um, like I started every game in 2019. It just seems like he's a late bloomer, but this is a guy who has worked his guts out to get where he is. Glad to see him succeed. Also coming up, a BC woman on an epic cross-Canada trek and why it took way longer than she thought it would. Squire, is that what used to be the cooking set? I can make a nice quiche or I could do the sports. It's your choice. He makes good cookies. He sure does. I do make cookies. It's been a while. I will say that, though. Actually, I made some the other day. I'll bring some for you guys. Don't worry. I'll bring some. Okay, good. Okay. So the BC Lions are above 500 for the first time since 2018 because they got to play Ottawa twice in a row. But that's been a bit unfair. Ottawa is the worst team in the CFL, but the Lions have been good, especially Michael Riley. Uh, He's been able to play through a sore elbow. He was named the CFL Performer of the Week for the job he did last week against the Red Blacks. 22 of 26, 326 yards, four touchdown passes, third time this year. He has thrown over 300 yards. He, of course, was also player of the month in the first month of the season. Lions' next game is on the road in Montreal this Saturday, 4 o'clock our time. Now, um, Chris Galas can attest to this. Sophie and I can't. When you're really tall, it's surprising when you don't get noticed. Not even a, wow, that guy's really tall. But since he's joined the BC Lions, receiver Javon Katoy was the tall guy nobody really noticed, at least not fans, until now. Now they're noticing him, and not just because he's tall, because he can catch and he can score touchdowns. Me and Burnham were talking about how funny it was. First time we saw him was in like March of 2019. We were out here doing ladder drills and, and throwing routes on air. And he wanted to join, and I thought he was a defensive end. I was like, sure, come on in, man. This is a waste of time, but whatever. Uh, and then come to find out in training camp he's a wide receiver. I was like, that's one of the biggest, most athletic wide receivers I've ever seen. As far as BC Lions receivers go, at six foot five and 230 pounds, Javon Katoy is Michael Riley's largest moving target. The 24-year-old stepping up big time in place of injured receiver Lamar Durant. Katoy, nine receptions, 162 yards, and two touchdowns. This is from a guy who seldom gets first-team reps at Lions practice due to BC's depth up front at wide receiver. Yeah, he is a, he is a good all-around football player, and 
Um, you, you do. I'm glad he's getting the credit for some of those big catches he's made, but he does a lot of other work too, which is very important. And uh, he's, you know, he's a guy that uh, hasn't played a lot of football that I think has a lot of room room to grow, and he seems in a good place uh, mentally and all that, so good for him. Little on the rollout. Room to grow because just three seasons ago, Katoy was ripping it up in the BC Junior Football League with the Langley Rams. A 1,300-yard junior season in the Lions' own backyard was more than enough reason for BC to sign Katoy, and it's been onwards and upwards ever since. I really take my time away from football and study film. I use the time that I have when I, when I do have it because um, I also work outside of football too. I'm taking advantage of the opportunity that's, that's given to me. Um, I try to come in every day with the same mentality of, uh, you know, putting the work and uh, hopefully and definitely it's uh, paying off. It's paying off for both Katoy and the Lions. Javon's arguably one of the CFL's best bargains, making the league minimum $65,000. Currently in the option year of his contract, he's already drawn NFL interest from the 49ers and Raiders. That interest is only going to grow if he keeps on playing the way that he is. This guy is the limit, to be quite honest. He started late, he got injured a couple times, and so he had to take a couple years off. And obviously the COVID year where everyone took some time off. So he's still learning and developing as a football player. And uh, we're just happy to have him so far because he's been really good. And when the Lions play Montreal, the Alouettes are going to be missing their head coach. Kahari Jones tested positive for COVID. He's been in isolation. He has to stay there for 10 days. The Owls say he is fully vaccinated and is asymptomatic. Assistant coach Andre Bulduk will run the sidelines against BC this Saturday. All right, Blue Jays, Marcus Simeon and the Jays against Tampa. And uh, Simeon with some D. Simeon makes the play. Right off. The shoestrings. Well, his shoe was nowhere near it. So just above the artificial turf. Uh, Blue Jays, believe it or not, didn't score a run in this game. First time since July they've been shut up. But Brandon Lau hits a home run here. And 2-0 is the final for Tampa over Toronto. Well, it's not confirmed, but rumors have Seattle hosting the 2023 Major League All-Star Game and Home Run Derby at T-Mobile Park. Seattle hasn't hosted an All-Star Game since 2001, which was also the last time they made the playoffs. Okay, Manchester United was taking on the Young Boys, and it's not a kid's team. It's an old team from Switzerland. And Cristiano Ronaldo, who's not a young boy but an old boy, scores here to make it 1-0. But... A red card took Manchester United down to 10 men. Nagamaleo will make it 1-1. And then, in the fifth minute of injury time, Jesse Lingard gives it away. Jordan Sabachu will score the shocking goal as the young boys defeat Manchester United by the score of 2-1 in Champions League. As I said, they are a famous team in Switzerland. But it would sound a bit insulting. Who did you lose to? Ah, oh, you know, these young boys beat us. <laughs> 2-1. Kids? No, the young boys. Yeah, the young They're boys. They're famous now. Yeah. All right, thanks, Quar. Up next, a BC woman's trip across the country the hard way. A BC woman has made history on the Trans-Canada Trail. Challenge, a daunting 24,000 kilometers. Crossing the entire country from coast to coast by land and water. Well, as Jay Durant tells us on tonight's This Is BC, she drew her inspiration from Canada's first people. Is this what you call a midlife crisis? <laughs> Until now, no one had ever finished both the land and water portions of the Trans-Canada Trail. 
Pender Harbor's Deanne Whalen has become the first, but her journey called 500 Days in the Wild turned out to be a lot more than that. Six years and one month. I don't even know how many days that is. Day 50. And so I had a moment of reckoning where I had to like sit down and burn that schedule. Dee was inspired in large part by her desire to connect with First Nations communities across the country. Well, I came in through the back. Yeah. <laughs> and the best piece of advice she received came from a Cree grandmother in Quebec who reminded her that self-care was very important during this unprecedented journey. I got a message from her saying, hey, you know, you went on this journey and you went to pay respects to our ancestors, but you're also trying to do it the old way and we didn't travel in winter, so take a break. After six weeks off every year, Whalen was back at it, paddling, mountain biking, hiking, and snowshoeing the Great Trail. Crossing Lake Superior proved to be the most daunting task, having to spend a month alone in isolation. We're in this together. Two little fragile spirits. And there were some close calls with wildlife. There are dangers out here. Like the time a bear made a move for camp north of the Arctic Circle. Fortunately, it was a rare moment. I saw a hundred bears, so I met two grumpy ones. At one point in Nova Scotia, Dee was lost for days after a terrible storm until she ran into two hunters. And they took me back to their hunting camp. They made me deer meat. By midnight, I was smoking a cigar and we were having a good time. You guys met? It was this kindness from so many people she met along the way that made this endeavor so meaningful. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Yeah. In reality, you know, there's way more kindness out there than there is darkness. And so, yeah, that's what I learned on this journey anyway. He is now working on a book and documentary chronicling every stage of this incredible 24,000 kilometer adventure. I wonder what all the other 50 year old women are doing today. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. Well, if you know someone who has a great story to tell just like that one or something unique to BC you want to share, just email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Really, the question is, what does she do next? <laughs> right. Is there a Trans-USA trail? or <laughs> Yeah, be tough to top. Uh, was that a sneeze? Because tight. Of course, we sent you outside on uh, a rainy Sorry, evening. it was a little bit of a cough. I got a tickle in my throat. Uh, final word on the weather, Christy. So we're right back to sunshine tomorrow, but we really have to get through some windy conditions tonight and tomorrow morning with gusts up to 70 kilometers an hour. All right. Thanks very much for the warning and thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, all.